Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. By no one's demand, but our own and from our home office here for a late Tuesday night edition of the 615 Sessions podcast from scenic, no longer sunny, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. This is the 615 Sessions podcast powered by Tennessee Tickets, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville. Com. So, this is arriving late in your feeds, but it's still getting to you on a Tuesday, so I feel that I have been justified. Buck Rising, by the way, happy to be here with you. Hope everybody had a successful and safe 4th of July weekend. But just because it is coming to you late does not make it any less good. In fact, this may be one of the more informationally packed 615 Sessions podcasts that we have had. Today, we will spend some time with our friends Adam Vingan, who covers the Nashville Predators for The Athletic, and Drake Hills, Nashville SC reporter for the Tennessean. A lot of things going on in the hockey and MLS world. Pat Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, bringer of doom to the AFC, signed, if you had missed it, a 10-year $450 million deal. Michael Gennetti who runs Spotrack, the cap figures and numbers and salary implications for all things NFL, MLB, whatever you may have. Michael Gennetti joins us later in the show to break down all the facts and figures of Ryan Tannehill's deal in relation to Pat Mahomes. Is it actually good in retrospect, given the idea that we are going to continue to see these quarterback numbers climb. Looking forward to that conversation later on in the pod. And then today on 3HL on 104.5 The Zone, I was hosting with Brent Doherty and we had a visit from Dave Dombrowski. You know that name if you are a professional baseball fan because Dave Dombrowski, longtime baseball executive, helped found the Florida Marlins and win a World Series championship with them. Then, in 2018, was part of the Boston Red Sox organization that won a title there in Beantown. And now, Dave Dombrowski is taking his talents to Music City to join up with Music City Baseball, LLC, in an effort to bring the MLB here to Nashville. We had Dave Dombrowski on the 3HL show We have been granted permission to use that audio here on the 615 Sessions podcast. So a lot of stuff to get to over the course of the program. Let us start first 
with Adam Vingen and Drake Hills. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com, joined by some familiar faces. If you are viewing with us on YouTube, if you are listening, wherever it is that you get your podcast, we have Drake Hills, Nashville SC reporter from the Tennessean, a good friend of ours, a return visit to the pod. My brother, welcome back. Looking fly, looking fresh as always. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It's been a minute. The last time we were talking was another unfortunate event. Uh, we were talking about Kobe Bryant and what was going on with that and the unfortunate events. But we were talking about a very optimistic Nashville SC season as Nashville SC was entering preseason. Yet, we are not talking yeah. about Nashville SC in this manner anymore. Yes, here we are. Uh, the, the optimism abounded at certain points in time. And so we also welcome Adam Vingen of The Athletic, who does an excellent job covering your Nashville Predators. Well worth your subscription for great journalism that Joe Rexroad, Lego hair Joe Rexroad, and Adam Vingen do for The Athletic. .com. Vingen, it's good to see your smiling face. I haven't seen Joe in yeah. three months, so I I'm not sure what his hair looks like right now. God only knows what the speaking shaggy of hair looks like. Speaking of hair, I mean, I know that some may not be able to see Buck's immaculate beard lineup and whatever tools he's been using, but he's certainly looking better than I was for the most of this pandemic. Well, I, uh, I caved and I got a haircut. Shout out my barber, Demarcus Drumright, out there in scenic Antioch. We're always hooking your boy up safely and socially distanced. I got my course. haircut today. You know, that's how it is. Figured you look pretty too. It's okay, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you have a part? Do, does this guy have a design in his head? Oh, my God. part in there somewhere. Are you kidding me? No. No, this is, this is out of the NHL world. This is... This is beyond the sports world. This uh, is we're breaking news here. It, it, it used to be more pronounced when my hair was longer, but then when barber shops were closed, I uh, I resorted to my wife buzzing my hair, and she did a, a very good job. But I just let her go with a with a one all over. You know, I didn't make it too difficult. I, the first time she was about to cut it, I said, do you think you can do a fade? And then that didn't turn out well. So I said, just buzz it all over. But now well, I mean, That is a fade, can, like, my friend. That is a real fade. <laughs> you got a real fade on you. No question Thank about you. it. Listen, we consider ourselves the swaggiest podcast here on the 615 Session, which is why we have such great guests like Adam Vingen and Drake Hill. So obviously there has been a lot going on in the local sports scene. There has been a return to play put into place for the NHL. August 1st is when the Nashville Predators will take on the Arizona Coyotes. Obviously, Nashville SC was set to play Wednesday night in the MLS's back tournament that was going to air, well, will air on ESPN. But at this point, there will be no Nashville SC as we sit here recording this on a Tuesday night. We will address that with our friends Adam Vingen and Drake Hills. We will also have later on in the show for the audio-only audience, Michael Janetti, who runs the Spotrack website, Patrick Mahomes, 
breaking the bank with a 10-year, $450 million, up to $503 million contract. So if you are part of the audio-only audience, you get that little carrot in the pod. Boys, what would you do at age 24 with a half a billion dollars? A half a billion dollars. Oh, man. I, I can't even fathom that amount of money. I don't want to see that amount of money. Like, I don't even want to see the zeros because the anxiety would go through the roof. The paranoia would shoot through the roof instantly. And also, you would have everyone else telling you what to do with your money other than your own thoughts. I mean, I would have a couple of ideas, but they would all be philanthropic. And I'm not trying to play the good guy and think and be the bad guy. He probably has some good ideas, too. But no, Vincan, I mean, there's very just, selfish, very selfish that way, Adam Bingham. Yeah, I just, I, I don't want to put him in that situation. I, I think Bingham has, has some good philanthropic ideas. But, I mean, there are so many things that you could do that you might just run out of ideas before you run out of money. Yeah, the paranoia would shoot through the roof, the anxiety would shoot through the roof, and the DM numbers would shoot through the I roof. I just can't imagine <laughs> opening my bank account and seeing that many zeros. I don't think you would be able to fit on the screen. They would have to no. put like a B and just like, you know, the extended bar. I'm not sure what you call it, but pretty sure when you get like a decimal number that has a, re a repetitive uh, uh, number after the hundredth, I think you get like one of those, one of those bars at the top that signify that it's a competitive or a complete and consistent number for the rest of its life, like a, a, a non-ending number. Oh, it's just like the that. infinity symbol in your bank account. That's all it is. Just That's probably, you could use that too. You could use that too. Just for the sake of convenience. Okay, you know, so let's, let's talk about what's going on. Let's start with the soccer first, because that was supposed to be on the most, uh, the, the most recent horizon. The uh, MLS is back tournament taking place uh, on ESPN. FC Dallas, the first team forced out of the tournament because 10 players and one staff member had tested positive for the novel coronavirus. Nashville SC's first match was postponed uh, reportedly today against Chicago because of a team outbreak. The league has said it will continue to evaluate the expansion squad's participation in this particularly troubled summer tournament. Drake, what have we learned about what where Nashville SC is in the middle of all this? How are they responding to these allegations that they have not handled the pandemic protocols correctly that would see them potentially removed from the tournament and not just have their game postponed? Uh, well, well, first and foremost, let me get this out the way. The thing that I was trying to describe is called a vinculum, <laughs> which signifies a repetitive decimal number. Now, back to business. Yes. So, Nashville SC, let me start with FC Dallas first. So, the official move was a decision made by Major League Soccer, the league. They decided that FC Dallas would be withdrawn from the tournament, as you mentioned, the 10 players, as well as a member of the coaching staff who also tested positive. So, that's your 11. As of Monday, two players were already confirmed for Nashville SC to test positive with the coronavirus, leaving the, the, the player pool of nearly around 600 players inside the player pool and 13 have tested positive for the coronavirus. Of course, for Tuesday, with 
not only those two, but an additional three have tested positive with a possibility that four more could test positive for the coronavirus. Now, as you alluded to, whether it be uh, Grant Wall from, you know, of course, he is kind of like a, a free agent right now, but he's still well sourced and he's been able to uh, talk about some of the things he's hearing inside the bubble, whether they be from league officials or from other clubs, opposing clubs, and talking about the fact that there has been a sense of uh, whether it be a lack of care or a mistake-driven behavior uh, of National SC inside the bubble. How are they assessing the players that are in limbo, waiting for test results? All the, are those players allowed to attend dinner with the players who have tested negative? Are those players allowed to uh, participate in other things, lounging activities inside the bubble at the Swan and Dolphin Resort at Walt Disney World, which is where all clubs are staying, and each have their somewhat of a of their own quarter or their partic particular space at the resort in which they're allowed to occupy at one time. Uh, so it is an interesting situation of how those players who aren't necessarily testing positive as of that moment, how are they being handled? And I think that is a certain situation that many clubs and perhaps some, some league officials are questioning right now in terms of what Nashville SC is doing. Now, the, the perhaps the, the, the opportunity for Nashville to continue in this tournament is still up for discussion. Nashville SC is still a part of the, major, the MLS's back tournament. It just so happens that their opening night match, the fact that they would play the second match of this tournament on ESPN is not going to happen against Chicago Fire. So you have this calendar now where are you going to be able to play against Philadelphia Union July 14th? Do you have the physical stature for players to be in shape, to be fit? National SC hasn't trained. They haven't done any physical activity since last Tuesday. So here we are recording on a Tuesday. Exactly one week ago was Nashville's last match, or excuse me, their last training session. So not only are they trying to figure out, okay, will we be able to play with a good amount of players? Because now they're around 20 to 21 as of right now, perhaps a little bit uh, of a question there as of, in terms of how many players that they have available. But you're also looking at, okay, when we do face Philadelphia Union, or if we do, do we have enough players to not only have the 11 on the field, but to have the seven that's going to be on the bench. Vingan, these leagues are very much making up the protocols as they go along. We all are. We have no precedent for this kind of stuff. And the NHL has just now determined dates that they will attempt to resume their season. The Preds having returned to the ice fairly recently. Uh, how, how is the NHL kind of going through these similar things not try as MLS is trying to resume their season, but also trying to look at these other leagues and say, okay, this is how MLS or NBA or Major League Baseball trying to get their season off the ground. And you've seen all the issues that have resulted, as as will happen, given all the things that we don't know about COVID nineteen and its effect um, on professional sports. How is the NHL, in your opinion, kind of handled? these return-to-play protocols? Well, to start, I, I have a statement from the league that they released yesterday. They've been doing these periodical updates regarding testing. 
So, quote, the NHL, as of Monday, July 6th, has had 396 players report to club training slash practice facilities for optional participation in phase two activities. Now, phase two is basically voluntary on-ice workouts. And according to this statement, there have been an excess of 2,900 COVID-19 tests administered, including more than four to this group of players. Those tests have resulted in a total of 23 returning confirmed positive test results for COVID-19. So of the players who have reported and are participating in phase two, 23 of 396 have tested positive for COVID-19. I'm going to commend the NHL uh, for how they've approached the hub city decision. It has not been formally announced, but it has been widely reported uh, that the two cities that will host uh, the return to play tournament, 12 in each city, Toronto and Edmonton, both of which are of course in Canada, um, which I think is smart because Canada has done a much better job of mitigating the effects of the coronavirus than the United States. And again, every country in the world has done a better job of mitigating uh, the effects of we coronavirus. We can't be trusted. We can't be trusted. Better than the United States. America is the op. Which is why I find it so peculiar that the NBA and MLS have been so set on Florida. Like there are, there are probably no, wor- there's probably no worse place right now to house these tournaments than Florida. For example, one of the cities that was on the front burner for the NHL for a long time was Las Vegas. And then Las Vegas saw a spike in coronavirus cases and they pulled out of Las Vegas, which was smart. So it was smart of them not to commit so soon to these cities. But, you know, the NHL released, you know, a set of of critical dates yesterday. Uh, Training camps or phase three will start next Monday, July 13th. I believe it was July 25th that the teams will report to their hub cities. So 12 teams, the 12 Eastern Conference teams will go to Toronto. The Predators and 11 other Western Conference teams will go to Edmonton. And then August 1st, the qualifying round starts, which of course the Predators as the sixth seed in the Western Conference will be participating in against the Arizona Coyotes in a best of five play-in round. Um, so, so far, the NHL, I feel like, has done a, a relatively good job comparatively to other leagues, but they also haven't started. The, they, they aren't as far along in the process as the NBA and Major League Soccer are. And, you know, it's going to be interesting over the next couple of weeks. So, for training camps, teams can have no more than 30 skaters, which, is, which are forwards and defensemen, and as many goaltenders as they want. And then when they go into the bubble – each team is allowed to bring a maximum of 52 people and, and 31 of those can be players. So the rest is coaches and equipment staff and trainers and, you know, hockey operations staff. So there are, are, are 52 people per organization that can enter the bubble. And, and, and they sent out these documents yesterday, phase four, which is the return to play. I think it was a 28 page document which details all of the protocol, which I still haven't gone all the way through yet, but there are sections about how players should ride elevators and also when they're allowed to use the hotel pool. So, I mean, that's also very important information, but I think the NHL all for all intents and purposes has done a fine job as they're returning to play. Uh, can the three of us agree that the state of Florida is among the biggest embarrassments in our country at this given time? Can we all three agree that the state of Florida is the largest of these embarrassments to our nation as a whole? 
I, I would give I would give Florida the nod, though Texas is a close second. Yeah, related and non-related, I think the state of Florida, not only just in Central, but increasingly in South Florida as well, have they've shown themselves as not only a you know, lack of uh, behavior or misbehaving of collectively, but even just the carelessness when you take a look at the surrounding ramifications, the, the identity and the factors that you have to consider when you're thinking about bringing 25 different cities, meaning 25 different MLS markets, right. into the 26th market, which is Orlando. And the fact that Orlando City, the host club, also had coronavirus issues as of you know, pretty much days before they entered the bubble. So you have to keep that in mind. Also, it's worthy to note that it was something that worked for Major League Soccer to partner with its partner, ESPN, and to be on a platform which ESPN could give a digital program that is unprecedented as it pertains to MLS. I think that had a big factor in choosing Orlando, which also has the resources for training for, for multiple clubs at a time, uh, different fields, uh, different spaces for clubs to be able to hub, so to speak, on the same campus, which is uh, the Walt Disney World. And it's not that other markets were not being considered. I do think that, that Dallas was being considered, uh, others some others. And that I'm taking off my reporter's cap and just taking a look at the, the analysis cap. I mean, the big thing that really irks me just analyzing this whole thing is that the airlock of in which the, the Major League Soccer protocol and the airlock in that protocol was diminished to seven days. Yeah. And recently talking to epidemiologists who have said that that is like beyond them to realize that seven days does not care for the possible incubation of the actual virus as it has entered your system. It actually needs to be at least 14 days. And that is something that is not negotiable. Um, I think that when you take a look at the battle between the Players Association of Major League Soccer and the league, and that the league wanted up for clubs to be at least around 10 weeks inside of a bubble, um, and then it diminished down to a month, and then diminished down to a week prior to their first game. So clubs are not expected to be inside the bubble until seven days before they play their first match. And in that time, you could have somebody who has contracted the virus. The virus is incubated inside their system. It is not yet latched onto their system and is not detectable due to a, a, a polymerase chain reaction test, which is the, the test that MLS is using. And I'm sure other leagues are using this as well. Um, that test and antibody test cannot detect that virus at that time. You have a, a, a potential in which I'm told from an epidemiologist that you can start transmitting the virus once you have contracted it. You can start transmitting the virus to others within two days. So at that point in time, you're in a situation where you don't know you have the virus. You've been tested as the protocol is requested each time that you've either trained or are been a part of club activities, you've been tested, but that test does not show you're positive. And on top of that, the incubation period takes the sweet spot I've been told is around five days. So the first two days, you've already been transmitting the virus. The incubation period doesn't end for an extra three days after those two days in which that virus can be detected. 
So that is troubling as well. If you take a look at seven days, someone could have, let's say, obviously today's July 7th. Let's say one contracts the virus. So for the next two days, that person can transmit the virus without them knowing. And the test, the PCR test, the polymerase chain reaction test and the antibody test cannot detect that virus. Let's say, so today is Tuesday. So we're talking about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday would be the first time in which that test could possibly be detected. So that's, tr that's tough, right? Because you would be going negative being allowed to participate in training, in other activities where you're around your teammates and not know that you have the virus. Keep in mind, going into the bubble, that's problematic too, right? Because now you're on the same campus with, uh, with other clubs. And I know that the Athletic has reported this. There have been other radio stations that have reported this as well, that players from different clubs aren't necessarily staying away from other players from other different clubs. Right. So that is problematic as well, right? What happens if that player has the virus, unknowingly, of course, and within those first two days, he's meeting with a buddy of his in the bubble, just passing in the lunch line or just passing, you know, one leaving the pool period or one going into the pool or at least poolside anyway. Things like that can be problematic for this bubble. Now, I will say Major League Soccer has actually done a relatively good job in terms of containing the virus in the bubble the problem is and i'm bringing it full circle is really what happens just before players are entering the bubble what is happening with players in that week before that they're ordered to go into the bubble and that's what's happening with nashville sc that's what's happening with uh with uh columbus crew and fc dallas as well I look at this and, and we, we talk about, you know, why, why Florida for, for the NBA and all these professional leagues. And I actually have just, and I bitch about this some other time when we have more time and less important things to discuss, but I actually flew for the first time in the middle of the pandemic, hugely ill-advised, do not fly during the global pandemic. I will tell you that right now. Sure as hell don't fly American Airlines, but I did it because – we booked a trip, my girlfriend booked a trip, in April when things were starting to cool off, in theory, to go meet her parents for the first time. So I flew to Naples, Florida, and now I am fearful of what may befall me just because I set foot in this state with so many science deniers. But Drake's point is well made, Bingen, that they are doing this on behalf of uh, they are gathering in Orlando on behalf of their corporate broadcast partners. It is easy for them because at the end of the day, we, we, the three of us, we cover three different professional sports leagues. And all three of them are hurting for money because this has directly impacted their finances. And the NFL, in my case, is a little different because they got a little extra money to burn and they can borrow against future seasons and nobody's worried about football going anywhere. But – we are all covering leagues that are trying to play through a global pandemic just for the sake of making, making cash back that they have lost over the course of an interrupted season. Vingen, you look at this, and, and I mean, I have to imagine that there is a moment where somebody in these organizations, whether that be the Preds or Nashville SC or whomever the hell else, is saying, are we really trying to do this shit? <laughs> I mean, well, honestly, 
No, well, I was I was particularly struck by a quote from Sean Doolittle the other day, a pitcher for the Washington Nationals. To paraphrase, he said that sports are a reward of a functioning society. And the United States is not at the point where we are a functioning society. You look at the European Union countries, they are getting back to normal or as close to normal much quicker than we are. And, and the idea that even as a nation, we're attempting to reopen our economy at a time where it's not really safe to be interacting with other people and being and, and being around others, um, you know, it, it is it is it's very confusing. Is the is the uh, polite way to say it? I can say it much less uh, politely. I was um, not polite. Why are you being polite? What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, you've taken care of it, so I, I'm, I'll take the pol- I'll I'll be more polite. Uh, but I appreciate your candor. Uh, there are a lot I of. Told you we have a balanced roster here, but we've got a real balance. <laughs> yeah. That I'm choosing not to. Um, but uh, you know, Sean uh, Sean Doolittle's point I, I think is absolutely spot on. I mean, you know, we all want to watch sports. Look, we we have stooped to the lowest of lows to watch sports. We have watched, you know, simulated sports, NBA 2K tournaments on ESPN. You know, the I watched a horse tournament, for God's sakes. I actually turned on my television to watch NBA players from their homes play horse. I couldn't do it. No. Couldn't I, will, do it. I will say this. The NBA 2K tournament wasn't so bad because you're actually watching NBA players play the game, and that's kind of fun, versus what a lot of NHL teams were doing, where they were playing simulated games, where it was basically the announcers from each team calling simulated NHL 20 games that were just computer versus computer. That shit was stupid. <laughs> But the but like actually watching the NBA 2K, I can I could get behind that a little bit. But hell, I watched the socially distanced Nathan's hot dog eating contest the other day. Oh. You know, it wasn't the same as watching it on Coney Island on July Fourth. But Joey Chestnut still set a, a personal record, and he, he was won again by, by plexiglass as he's was. But we're all starved for sports, and you know, just like you two, I, I want to see sports. Like I was planning on, I'm not, I am not the the most uh, intelligent soccer fan, but I was planning on watching Nashville FC game tomorrow, but now of course we can't, you know, I'm looking forward to watching the NHL resume play and the NBA hopefully resume play. And, but, you know, I feel like we've done enough to get by for now, but you know, the, the United States of America is not in a place where this is going to have the smart thing by moving the tournament to Canada. I mean, it's not perfect in Canada, but it's much, much better than it is here. And they're much safer in Edmonton than they would be in Las Vegas. So, you know, perhaps the NHL of the four professional sports might be the, might, might have the most advantageous position because they can host their tournament in a country that isn't seeing a spike in cases every day. But, I mean, it is, it is difficult to reconcile our desire to see sports and to have that functioning society at, at, work to earn what we should hopefully be getting and seeing other countries getting to. Yeah, I want to I want to spend some time in our waning minutes here talking about the level of access that the three of us will have to the respective leagues that we cover. But I do want to mention, Ving, and our good friend Jason Fitz of ESPN was working the sidelines for the Joey yes, Chestnut uh, uh, hot dog eating contest. He came on the 3HL radio show with me yesterday on 104.5 and was talking about uh, how the grease level, the, how well done the hot dog is, <laughs> contributes to how quickly Joey Chestnut 
can digest it as he's dunking it in water and doing all of these things. Like the idea that they would hold this without fans means you can hear more of the digestion oh. happening. And that doesn't alone. seem to be enjoying it. That's Fair all enough. I'll say. It does not seem to be a pleasurable experience. But I would be curious for, from Fitz's perspective, sort of like when you go to SeaWorld and you sit in the front row oh. and you've got the poncho on and you, you know, you're in the splash zone. Like, did, was Fitz wearing a poncho or something in case, like, flying bun or spittle or hot dog was getting... Uh, or barf. <laughs> or barf. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know how, I don't know how wow. it can be reasonably, uh, I don't know how one can reasonably, no pun intended, stomach it. But our friend Jason Fitz was able to pull it off. Yeah, good job out of me with that one. All right, we have less than 10 minutes remaining here, and I want to make sure that we talk about this. Drake, I'll start with you. How much more difficult has it been uh, to cover a professional soccer team given all of the different protocols that have put, been put in place, not just for the league, but for us as media vultures? <laughs> Very aggressive end to the question. Uh, but, but I will say, you know, it is a certain – it takes a rather eclectic way of reporting when you take a look at what is on – our plate right now as members of the media, uh, particularly my plate, when not only are you trying to normalize the sport of soccer in a new market, although National FC was here in the second tier, it did not require the, the big atmosphere that it, that it does now with Major League Soccer in the Music City. But you're also talking about personalizing some players that either have never been to Nashville before but have played in MLS for a while or they've never been in MLS, let alone America, ever. And this is their first chance of playing in Major League Soccer, living in America, living a American lifestyle as a footballer, as a soccer player. And the fact that there is a lot of stories and much of the, what we call in soccer, the soccer purist taste and wanting to know everything that's going on in Europe, now you have those players who have joined Nashville SC and there's tons of stories about these guys, but it's hard to build that relationship with that player when you're simply just on the phone with them for, you know, a good 15 minutes talking about a, a very niche enterprise topic, but not necessarily about himself, which would take much longer. So uh, in terms of the pandemic, it's actually been uh, very hard to get into the in-depth analysis of not only the team, but also of the players. When it comes to this tournament, it remains to be seen how Zoom calls will be used because many reporters are going to be using Zoom calls, but how exactly we're going to be able to communicate and relay the messages of what's going on with players inside the bubble, that remains to be seen. Can you imagine a world where you and I got to talk to an NFL or NHL player for 15 minutes on the phone? <laughs> Hell, are you kidding me? <laughs> Drake's well, got it the best say, of the three of us. I mean, I will say that the, the Predators ha have done a, a very good job throughout the uh, pause of the season. As oh, the no, now I'm calling bullshit on that. They open those things up to fan no. questions. Let, let, no. me, let me correct, let me correct hold, myself. Hold on. I didn't mean – there's the Zoom, the Zoom press conferences, but I'm talking about like one-on-ones like -on over the phone. Okay. Like they have, they have been uh, facilitating that, but – you know, one of the, of course, for me, the interesting part uh, of the return to play protocol, you know, and, and there are two things. That's one, and this is direct, a direct quote, 
Uh, media who attend the Phase 4 games in person will have no greater access to players and club personnel than media who remain in clubs' home markets and connect to NHL virtual interviews and press conferences. Media in the Phase 4 secure zone will have no personal access to players and club personnel away from the host arena and will not be permitted to be present in the NHL secure zone other than the two attend games. And now here's the other part. This is, this, this is the inside sports writer sort of thing. Given the protocols that will be in place, media and attendance must expect much less in the way of personal sight than what they are accustomed to receiving. Anything over and above the absolute basics, e.g. a vantage point with a view of the ice, access right. to bathrooms and water should not be assumed. So no picking out. No picking out in the press conference. Basic, yeah, that's that's, pretty, that's pretty universal. Major League Soccer is in the same boat. I mean, they're, they've got Washington Post, ESPN is there, Dawson is there, but pretty much most of the athletic is not there. Obviously, I'm not there. Most of the local beat writers are not there either. So it's going to be a very universal experience for Vinkin and I, and I'm sure when camp starts for the Titans, I'm sure you'll be just in the same boat as us. Yeah, we need to talk about that. I saw that going around uh, Twitter, the uh, the NFL media training camp policy. Man, uh, they can, they can, that they can go that. straight to hell with this <laughs> NFL. And listen, I understand. Explain it to us because I didn't quite understand all the nuances. Okay. Well, without having it directly in front of me, the they are not allowing – more than four reporters at any given time at any given press conference setting to be available there will be a videographer assigned i'm sure they will be working for the team there will be a photographer assigned i'm sure he will be working for the team and i'm sure one of the four people who gets access to this practice is going to be god love him i love jimmy wyatt like i love a brother but he is going to be one of those people and he's on the team's payroll. And that really irks me. Now there are different tiers for how much access we get. There are up to 30 people reportedly allowed to be viewing a practice, but there are different stipulations on how much you can report all of these things. This begins the death of NFL media, uh, independent NFL media, because these jerks have been looking for ways to whittle us all out for quite some time. And finally, Mike Brabel is going to have the opportunity to silence all of us at a press conference <laughs> that he doesn't want to be at anyway. And honestly, Mike, Mike's been great. And the Titans, for, for all of my complaining, the Titans have done everything within their power to make sure that we have more access than any other NFL team. I would not want to be a New England Patriots reporter. Yeah, right let, let me just follow that up with the, with the comment that I made earlier was more about the in-depth storytelling that folks yes, were curious absolutely. about who exactly are these players. Oh, right? sure. You know, and it's hard to do that in 15 minutes. But yes. I will say, though, Nashville SC has not only, I would argue, not only provided great access consistently during the pandemic for good enterprise stories, good storytelling, things that are kind of questions about what the heck is going on with these players – when they're in, in stay-at-home orders and things of that nature. So National sure C has done a good job with that. But I would also reckon that they are probably one of the best friendly media uh, clubs, companies, organizations in professional sports. Two of the friendliest media members, two of the most diplomatic media members <laughs> that stop by this podcast are Drake Hills of the Tennessee, and you can give them a follow at Live Life Drake on the socials. And Adam Vingan, Preds reporter for The Athletic, at Adam Vingan is where you follow. 
my brother. Boys, it was not long enough. It is good to see both of you. I hope you continue to stay well and safe and that your jobs become just a little bit easier in the face of what is uncertain times for all of us. Thanks for stopping by. Wear your goddamn masks, everybody. <laughs> now I get Vingen the cuss. <laughs> Listen to Vingen. Listen to him. Wear your mask. Retweet, cosign, all of the above. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. A lot of money moving around over the past couple days. One player in particular, Patrick Mahomes, a massive new 10 year contract from the Kansas City Chiefs. Here to help us analyze the mega deal is Michael Gennetti. You know him from Spotrack, where you get all of your salary cap figures and numbers from, one of the best sites on the interwebs. Michael, I appreciate you stopping by today. No problem. Thanks for having me. So we always want to assign winners and losers anytime we do anything in sports. It's one of the be- one of the worst things that plagues us in sports talk conversation. I look at Mahomes' 10-year, Patrick Mahomes' 10-year, $450 million extension that he's receiving from Kansas City, and a part of me wants to say, that it's a great deal from both sides. I'm wondering what your perspective on it was. Yeah, it's tough not to think that when you really get, dive into it as deep as I have. Um, you know, first look, first listen, first hear of any sort of 12-year contract in the NFL, um, you got to cringe at first because we've really never seen that be successful. It's just not one of those things that happens in a capped league. But this is an anomaly of a player, at least we think he is, certainly with the early success, and this is the right position to do this at in terms of the quarterback. Uh, the reason I agree with you that it probably is the right deal for both sides is that the first three years of this are extremely beneficial to the Chiefs. The, it's three years and $63 million, which is Teddy Bridgewater's contract in Carolina this year, which is a quarterback for a team a lot of people think will be the worst in football this year. So hmm. if, if we're starting there on this mega extension, you can understand why the Chiefs are pleased with with how things are going to look over the next three years and how it's going to benefit them to keep this team together and contend for the Super Bowl. And then obviously from there, the numbers get silly and chaotic and crazy and upwards of 45 to 50 million on average with $60 million to be earned in 2027. So uh, Mahomes has to wait a few years to really cash in big time with this thing. But I think even he would say he's pleased with how it's structured. The majority of the details are out and available to the public, and obviously Michael has a great breakdown available to you if you throw him a follow at Spotrack on Twitter. What are the what are the highlights of this deal when you were when you spent your time analyzing it? Sure. So you know the big one that stood out was originally that, and I was worried that after the six to three million, there was going to be a way for the Chiefs to get out of this thing, and that there was just a ton of smoke and mirrors built into this, which we often see with NFL contracts. And the exact opposite happened. The, the further I, I dove into it, um, you, you'll notice on his contract on our site, there are more notes than I've ever put in for a contract because every single season something else happens early in March. A bonus gets becomes guaranteed, a base salary, a workout bonus becomes guaranteed. Every single March, something's going to happen with Patrick Mahomes, and that runs all the way through to 2031. So what I'm saying here, the moral of this story is, if he wants it, 
because his guarantees all lock in early. I mean, we're talking 18 to 24 months early. He can have this entire $477 million contract, and there's really nothing the Chiefs can do about it. The dead cap is going to pile up and pile up and pile up, and they're really not going to be able to outright release him. So this is going to be not only a ton of money for Patrick Mahomes, but a ton of player control, which is something we've absolutely not seen in the NFL before. It, it, there's there hasn't been any recent precedent for a deal like this. Obviously, you go back and look at Brett Favre and Michael Vick and ten-year contracts that were signed in previous eras of NFL contracts being done. Does this kind of pave the way for quarterbacks in particular? I don't think you could do this at any other position, nor do I think any NFL team would do this at any other position. But does this? potentially open up a window for contracts like this to exist in future quarterback markets? I mean, I mean, it's here, so I have to say yes to that, to yeah. that question. But uh, again, I'll go back to how I started the conversation, whereas it's going to take a really special player to demand this kind of money. This is, a, this is a contract that the team knew they had to go the extra level to blow this client away with. Um, this is not a let's work back and forth and, and eke out the details and see what happens. This is the chief saying we're going way above and beyond anything we've seen the past 15 to 20 years with NFL contracts. And we're going to give you the control and you the power to manage this thing. And we'll be along for the ride. and We'll help you <laughs> however we can. I don't think we'll see that. That's not normal by any breath. So, uh, you know, if we're talking about the next man up with Dak Prescott or Deshaun Watson or the slew of, of rookies that are coming after that, uh, I don't think we're going to see anything near this kind of structure. But the one takeaway is those kind of rolling guarantees, those vested guarantees that kind of offer a sneaky look at a fully guaranteed contract. There's a chance we see something similar to this with Dak Prescott, who doesn't want to go five years. The Cowboys do want to go five years. But if Dak Prescott will say, OK, I'll, you will go the five years, but you're going to make it guaranteed by year three, which means it's a fully guaranteed five-year contract, um, there's maybe a precedent to be sent that can trickle down from Mahomes, and a smaller version of this could exist in these other quarterbacks. It's always always fascinating because every time one of these mega deals is signed, and obviously a 10-year $450 million extension is going to raise the eyebrows of everybody involved in NFL media and in NFL fandom, but Titans fans, to make a to create a local tie, for this, Titans fans had a little bit of sticker shock when Ryan Tannehill signed a four-year, $118 million contract extension to remain here in Nashville uh, with uh, substantial guarantees, a substantial signing bonus, uh, total guaranteed of $91 million, according to your website there at Spotrack. How good does that deal look in light of the Mahomes contract that is now in front of us? Boy, that's a that's a good question. Um, how good does it look? I, I think it's one of the riskiest contracts we saw signed this offseason. I really do believe that. Well, and I maybe thought... I shouldn't have maybe I shouldn't have put in <laughs> put it and said good. May, I guess what is your evaluation of the Ryan Tannehill contract in light of you Mahomes? Know, you know the only the only reason I'm I'm a little down on it, maybe even more down on it now, is because because of what I'm hearing from these other contracts that are coming out with these quarterbacks uh, from a negotiation standpoint. I wonder if if the Titans move too early on the Tannehill contract. Now the average salary and all of that that's that's all fine. The twenty million dollars signing bonus, what they gave him this year specifically, is fine because it, it correlates with what they would have given him on a franchise tag. So I, I completely understand that. 
But the fact that they built in a structure that get pretty much is going to put $91 million in his pocket after they gave him an incentive-laden contract in 2019 that I thought was so smart and so brilliant, and that, that 2019 Tannehill contract is going to be something we're going to see now. That is exactly how the Cam Newtons and the Andy Dalton and, and the James Winston's, that's how those deals are now going to work, and I think that will stick. So I just think they went from A to Z and maybe too quickly on that, and if they had waited this out and slapped a tag slapped a franchise tag on Ryan Tannehill and maybe done something differently with Derrick Henry, then cooler heads could have prevailed and maybe that maybe it's a little bit less rigorous of a contract. I think $91 million in practical guarantees for him after what they did last year, I understand that winning matters, but uh, it seems like a bit of a reach to me. See, that's a, fascina- that's a fascinating analysis, and that's why we value people like Michael Gennetti of Spotrek Kind enough to give us some of their some of his time on the six one five sessions podcast because that that was an ongoing debate all off season long. Do you pay Ryan Tannehill? Do you pay Derrick Henry? And we obviously know which one they opted for and placing the franchise tag on the running back, who many would consider the more important player. In fact, I think almost all of us would consider the more important player for what it is the Tennessee Titans do. How would you have handled Derrick Henry's? contract situation uh given everything that you've just laid out about ryan Tannehill's deal so so here's here's maybe a better way to say what i just said in in a lot of words because it it answers your question here too who were they bidding against with ryan Tannehill? only themselves right so you know if they opt to just franchise tag him or even maybe let him walk in a free agency i'm not sure other teams with with the quarterback carousel that we saw, all these quarterbacks that moved around this offseason, I'm not sure Ryan Tannehill would have had much of a demand at all, even with the success he had in 2019. So that's what I mean, how they rushed into $91 million for him, slapped $10.5 million on Derrick Henry. If they had reversed that and, and, and slapped a $31 million tag on Ryan Tannehill and then done what, what would be equivalent of two franchise tags for Derrick Henry, so two years, $25 million, you know, guaranteed. Maybe that looks like four for 45 or whatever it has to look like to, to build the headline a little better. But, you know, essentially two franchise tags guaranteed for Derrick Henry. Um, it's just a way cheaper approach, right? It's $25 million versus $91 million in terms of absolute guaranteed money. I, I think both of those players would have been pleased with that, at least to start. And you could you would have had a bunch of months to figure out Tannehill from there. Uh, the rare hole in capologist uh, Vin Marino's game, it would seem. Got distracted by uh, all the winning that the Titans have sa- have not been accustomed to doing and gave Ryan Tannehill the bag right out of the gate in an AFC championship appearance on his resume. Michael Gennetti of Spotrack, kind enough to stop by here on the 615 Sessions. You can check him out, of course, at Spotrack.com for all of the salary cap notes and news that will come out as NFL contracts continue to be doled out. Uh, Michael, while, while I have you here, uh, you mentioned Cam Newton and his deal, what future contracts will be structured like based off the 2019 Tannehill deal that he received from the Titans in the midst of that trade and, and renegotiation of his contract. Uh, the global pandemic has obviously played a great deal uh, or a great factor in free agency this year, but with guys like Cam Newton and Jameis Winston off the top of my head who have taken what I think would largely be considered bargain basement deal for what their respective talents are, how much how much have you seen in your in your analysis of contracts 
just how big an effect has the coronavirus had on the amount of money that teams are willing to dole out to free agents? Well, this Patrick Mahomes contract was 45 days apart from the last contract extension we had. So yeah. uh, in that breath, it's been a quiet offseason for that. So the big, obviously the blockbuster stuff has been tempered for sure, I, you know, with the exception of yesterday. But, yeah, there's no question. Uh, you know, the, the coronavirus stuff from, from a revenue standpoint, um, you, you know, I, I think overall the contracts are slightly lower than they may, they may have normally been because everybody kind of assumes – that the salary cap's not going anywhere next year now. Uh, you know, regardless of whether 20% of the, of the stands can be full or not, there's going to be a drop in revenue. Anytime there is, the league has to react to that. So I, I really do think that the overall bottom line of a lot of these contracts has been brought down to earth a little bit. The Cam Newton situation is not only that, but it was a July contract, which nothing ever good ever happens in July. Huh. And, and, uh, and like I said, there were maybe eight or nine quarterbacks that were available and when Jameis Winston did what he did and went to a team that had two quarterbacks on the roster already and took basically the bottom of the barrel, uh, that's a bad look for anyone else with a, uh, who needed a quarterback contract after that. It's just how it sort of works out. It's, it's the, the next man up philosophy. So Cam was backed into a corner. His, his, his injuries certainly played a part in that. And, and having to wait to take a physical was a big part of that back in March. But there were a lot of factors, and certainly the COVID-19 situation is one of them. Uh, yes, and it is still plaguing Titans fans as they continue this, what I believe to be a uh, ignorant pursuit of Jadavion Clowney, given the money that is uh, available to them to spend. They just can't seem to let him go, Michael, and I don't understand why. <laughs> well, everybody else is. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of an un- it's unbelievable that he's still here. He's the, he was a man on an island in March. He was the top free agent pass rusher. And generally speaking, any other year, uh, that that player is swooped off early March, you know, with basically top dollar. Uh, this is just a different situation where, you know, maybe it's coronavirus and, and the physical is a big part of it. Maybe it's, uh, you know, teams are just being much, much more thriftier with their cap situation right now. Uh, I also do think that the situation he, he had in Seattle really affected him. He took an $8 million salary last year to play with the Seahawks because of the, the trade and how it all worked from a financial situation. And he didn't really sack anybody. He was asked to do a different role, you know, which for me, I look at that and say, okay, now he's versatile. Now he's able to be an inside and an outside player. I think he's actually more valuable in that regard, but that's clearly not how other GMs see him right now. And that price is dropping every single week that he's not signed. Well, music to John Robinson's ears here locally. We will see how it plays out over the course of the next couple of weeks, whenever it is that they report to training camp uh, scheduled for July 28th. Michael Gennetti of Spotrack here with us on the 615 Sessions podcast. Brother, I appreciate you stopping by. It was a pleasure to chat with you for the first time, and I uh, hope we'll be able to visit again sometime in the future. My pleasure. Stay safe. Thanks. You as well. Dombrowski, longtime uh, Major League Baseball executive, is moving to Nashville in an effort to help Music City Baseball LLC bring Major League Baseball to Nashville. Dave Dombrowski joins us now. Uh, Mr. Dombrowski, it's an honor, man. Uh, thank you for uh, for taking the time to be with us. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you guys and look forward to doing it in the future, too. What was it about this group and this opportunity that was intriguing to you? Well, I, I think there's a few reasons behind that. I think first and foremost, uh, having met the group 
here at Music City Baseball, John Lohr, Alberto Gonzalez, Lee Barfield, already knew Dave Stewart and, and Tony LaRusso, and, and some of the other individuals I've had a chance to meet. Well organized, have a real focus on what they want to try to accomplish. Good people, quality people, I really liked being with them. You talk about coming to a city like Nashville, which is a booming city, it's a growth, uh, the, the way it's growing in every respect. It's a major league baseball city to me. Of course, you have the other professional sports here. Uh, so that combination of factors, having the ability to kind of get in on the ground level and try to do things right in so many other ways, uh, that combination of things, uh, very attractive situation to, to someone like myself. Have you spent much time in Nashville? How familiar with, with the Music City are you? Well, not that familiar. I've been here many times throughout the years. But it's a little bit misleading because the winter meetings would be held basically every four or five years at the Opera Land, which is a beautiful facility and beautiful hotel. But when we were there, we basically never left. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and all the time. So I really never had a chance to get much to downtown Nashville at that point. Maybe we'd have a dinner late at night uh, the first night we were here to kind of get our group together. But you never did anything other than just come to dinner, hop on a bus and go back. So coming here in December uh, for the first time in this after talking to the group and then coming back in January, uh, such an impressive city. And everywhere there's growth 24-7. There's building going on downtown, growth everywhere, 81 people a, uh, a day moving in uh, before the pandemic, of course, hit. So uh, I really hadn't spent a lot in the downtown area, but, wow, it's a beautiful city when you come here. We like to think so, but, of course, we're biased. Dave Dombrowski here with us on 104.5 The Zone. Uh, you're joining an advisory board that has many baseball luminaries already attached to it. Tony La Russa, Dave Stewart, chief among them. What is What will exactly your role be along with Tony and Dave as baseball advisors as you guide Music City Baseball LLC through the process of trying to bring professional baseball here? Well, all of us will work together, of course, on every step of the way, not only the three of us, but with everybody else that's involved. But I think for specifically, a little bit of difference. I'll be the only one here moving here at this point, so I'll have a chance to be involved more in a day-to-day perspective. Uh, Tony still, even though he consults, works with the uh, Anaheim Angels at this time. Dave, who's been trying to help with more of the ownership aspect, trying to help people come on board in that regard. Also, with our diversity thought processes. But I'll be the one that'll be here and get uh, involved for sure if we're fortunate enough to bring a team to be involved with uh, helping run that if that, uh, we're fortunate enough to have that take place in the future. When John Lohr and those guys called you, did you know much about th- their attempt to bring Major League Baseball to Nashville? Um, question one, and then question two, as you investigate and you understand some of the names that buck through out there, people that are involved in this group, I- I'm sure it was impressive to you. Well, I knew a little bit about it um, because I'm so such close friends with Tony LaRusso. We've been so close years and then he worked we worked together in Boston there for a couple of years so we talked about Music City Baseball and had a knowledge somewhat there. I had met John in the past also uh, but never had a heavy involvement. It really was last November when we were at an event that Tony hosts for Leaders and Legends for Animal Rescue Foundation in Las Vegas that John and I had a chance to cross paths again and we talked a little bit and then 
there was a quick follow-up after that in November, and I came here in December and had a chance to really get a chance to talk to them more about what their plans were, what their focus were. So I knew something about it, but I can't say I was as intimately involved as I would be at this point uh, from an information perspective. So should the Nashville Stars and, and the Music City Baseball LLC efforts be successful, this would become the first team in baseball history to have African-American majority ownership. How much, how important is that to the league to be able to incorporate that element? Does that play a, a, a major role in helping to move this process along, in your opinion? Well, I think it's important. There's no question from Major League Baseball's perspective, diversity at this time, extremely important. And having the involvement and the proper thought processes and bringing together um, all the different areas from a social perspective of the national conversations taking place about the, the social justice and racial equality. And you see right now our tie with the Hall of Fame. I think all of those things are extremely important to Major League Baseball. But ultimately, you have to have a lot of other things that come into play, too. So, you, of course, we have to get a ballpark built. Extremely important. Uh, we have to be in a position where you get the a right amount of money, the proper lead investor, the control interest person involved. But I think having the type of diversification that we have, the emphasis on that can only be helpful for us. It can only be helpful for Major League Baseball. Where are we in terms of ballpark discussion? Well, it's been taking place. Uh, our preference, um, preferred location would be along the East Bank, but there's still a lot of steps to, to get that done conversations have been taking place. We have a feasibility study of individuals that we hired with a company called CSL. They've been working with us. We've talked to a gentleman that's on board with us by the name of Chuck Steedman, who's involved with ASM Global, that's involved with uh, dealing with stadiums. They're on board. He's on board with us now. So we've had a lot of conversations. Uh, John and Alberto and Lee Barfield have had conversation with some of the officials here in the city, but there's still an ongoing conversations, a lot of steps to still to get this to happen. Would the, would you guys be looking toward a privately funded um, opportunity, or would, would would the city government need to get involved? Now, all along since uh, I joined in the very beginning, it's been emphasized how it will be privately funded. So it's something that uh, we are going to do. Of course, you're going to have to raise the the money to do that. I think we can do that. Um, also, we would love to get an entertainment district tied in with that in some respect, which would help, but it will be privately funded. Dave Dombrowski uh, with us, Music City Baseball LLC. They're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Nashville, Buck. That is music uh, to the people's ears to hear that it would be a, a privately funded effort to be sure. Uh, Dave Dombrowski here with us, longtime exec baseball executive. The the thing that I look at, Dave, uh, in terms of people's engagement and people's want for baseball here in Nashville is that it has to be, as obviously baseball being the primary driving force behind this, but as you're talking about an, an, enter, an entertainment uh, uh uh, sector tied in with baseball, I think matters very, very much to the people here. How much of that? How much of that factors in to baseball's effort to try and expand to grow the game in new markets? How, how, how big? I guess is the emphasis on that in particular. 
Well, I think first and foremost, Major League Baseball would emphasize the playing facility itself along with the city. But if you can add to the fans' entertainment, that's we're in the entertainment business. You want them to come out to the ballpark and have a good time to see the new ballparks that are being built in recent times, the most recent ones in Texas, in Atlanta. They have an entertainment district surrounding. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important if you can accomplish that. I can't say from Major League Baseball's, it's the top of their list. But I think from our perspective, it's very important because it gives the fans a chance to, to do other things and also to use your facility all year, which can be extremely important. If you're on the East Bank there, you have visitors coming in and coming and touring, coming and enjoying other activities that will be taking place at, at the ballpark. Has the group had, had much discussion with, with Mayor John Cooper? The reason why I ask is we've had a series of mayors, and, and we kind of understand where we were with sports with with, um, with Megan Barry and David Briley, and, and now you've got John Cooper. All I've really seen from John Cooper is trying to deal with a pandemic. Have you guys had much discussion with him? Where, where does he stand with regard to baseball coming to Nashville? Well, I think he, as well as others, that you talk to support Major League Baseball coming to the city. Now, how you accomplish it, where it's going to be, those are still steps that need to be taken. There's been some conversations, but many more need to be held. Those have been conversations that John and Alberto and Lee Barfield have been having this time period, but further conversations need to be held. Really, anybody that I've talked to or been around, as you travel throughout the city, the support for Major League Baseball here is tremendous. It's a big sports community when you look at the history of baseball in the city itself. Again, a lot of steps need to be taken, but I would think that almost anybody you talk to supports it to some extent. The pandemic obviously looms over all things sports or otherwise right now in our society. How, as a baseball lifer, Dave, have you kind of observed the way that Major League Baseball has handled trying to get their season off the ground amidst so much uncertainty? Well, it's been a tough situation. It hasn't been pretty for the sport and what's been taking place. Uh, the pandemic, nobody plans for something like that to take. And getting back on the field has been difficult. We're back out there now. They're trying. There's still questions surrounded because of just the pandemic itself. So uh, it's a difficult situation, not only the game, but the world's facing at this time. So hopefully things will move in the right direction that we'll be able to have the game on the field but um, it's been hard it's it's a hard process to me when i look at it as far as the future of baseball and, and nashville is concerned we've never been a pandemic before but we have had labor shutdowns and difficult times in the game and the game is resilient it bounces back there's so much love of the game so by the time we get to the point of starting to play baseball on the field that growth you anticipate coming back no matter what takes place over this next time period but right now it's a t it's a tough time it's a tough time for everybody and um, there's no easy answers to this and um, Hopefully the game will be, play, be played on the field in a couple of weeks and it can go smoothly from there, but nobody really knows what will take place. Dave Dombrowski with us on 3HL. Dave, uh, Bob Nightingale covers Major League Baseball for USA Today, as you know, said on our mid, midday 180 today, Nashville has replaced Charlotte as a favorite for an expansion team. Uh, I'm curious with the pandemic and, and the economics um, that, that we're looking at now, ha has that kind of pushed the pause button maybe or are, are, are we still headed down a path where baseball can uh, can expand 
Well, Major League Baseball's made no promises to us or to anyone else on what they're going to do. I'm not okay. sure know what they're going to do yet based upon more the immediacy of getting the game back on the field with the pandemic and all the issues that are involved. But I, in our situation, we need to be prepared for whenever they make a decision of expansion or franchise relocation. So we have to be open to either one, and that's what we're working to achieve. So if that decision is made when it's made down the road, that we'll be prepared. And I hope Bob's right. I know Bob well. I hope he's right. We've, we've moved into being the favorite. But, of course, it's hard work. There's a lot of steps that need to be taken. You can see when you even start talking about getting a ballpark built, that's never easy. So uh, there's a lot of different steps, but we're confident that we can get this done through a lot of hard work and effort and a lot of communication and community effort. What most excites you about, obviously this is an exciting process. You're, you're taking steps to move your family to Nashville, and, of course, we welcome you uh, here to Nashville whenever that move is made official. What most excites you about everything that's going to go into this process Having, having so much uncertainty out there with all of the things that we've discussed? Well, I, being involved with an expansion team before, which was the Florida Marlins, I joined them in 1991. Now, I was only involved in the baseball end of the operation at that point. I wasn't involved in the whole operation. But having the chance to start something new and fresh, to see it start from the very beginning, grow it, be involved in the community to see it happen, all the hard work and efforts that are attached to that, it's very satisfying. And to share in those experiences with everybody that's involved and then to grow it to be a successful franchise. And in our case, it was in Florida. And I anticipate here not only off the field, but on the field as far as attendance is concerned, community involvement, and then eventually building a championship caliber team. Seeing all that transpire, it's very satisfying. And I, I think that those events, when you share it with a certain group of individuals, I know like some of my closest friends in the game of baseball right now experience that same opportunity that I did in Florida. You spend so many hours and so many common goals and communication times and meetings that it brings you close together. And when you talk about coming to a city like Nashville, which is exciting in itself with the growth here and seeing what's taking place, to me it's uh, that's exhilarating.